Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. On the one-year commemoration of George Floyd's death, more black people are dying and not at the hands of the cops. The broader racial reckoning continues with propagandistic efforts to tear down America's institutions. And the New York Times notices that Democrats aren't very loud about the border anymore. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Don't like big tech and the government spying on you? Visit ExpressVPN.com. Slash panel get to all the news in just one moment. First, let me remind you that in April alone, consumer prices increased by 4.2%. It's the highest bump since 2008. Higher fuel prices and higher food prices, construction costs, housing prices, like inflation is really hitting. It's hitting so much that a columnist for the New York Times trying to downplay the inflation is like, were the 1970s that bad? Yes, they were that bad. And one way that you can hedge against inflation and uncertainty is, of course, by investing in precious metals. So I'm going to tell you again. If you haven't yet reached out to Birch Gold to diversify part of your IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA, today is a great day to do it. Text Ben to 474747. Get a free information kit on protecting your savings with gold. I buy my gold from Birch Gold. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Countless five-star reviews. Over 10,000 happy customers. Talk to them. Have them help you safeguard your investments. Again, gold has always been an asset that is not worth zero and it has been your hedge against the government inflating the currency. Text Ben to 474747. When you make a purchase before June 30th, Birch Gold will send you a signed copy of my book, How to Destroy America, in three easy steps for free while supplies last. Again, text Ben to 474747. Protect your savings today. And once again, when you make a purchase before June 30th, you get a free copy of my last book, How to Destroy America, in three easy steps. Signed by moi. Go check it out right now. Text Ben to 474747 to get started. Alrighty, so... This week marks the one-year commemoration of the death and now legally adjudicated murder of George Floyd. And the media are awash in self-referential glory. They, they keep talking about how wonderful they are, how they have made the world a better place through their attention on the racial reckoning. Now, there's only one problem. Nothing has gotten better in the last year on race. Zero things. In fact, Black Lives Matter has done an awful lot of harm to the black community, to the United States at large. Now, with regard to what's going on in the Middle East, international politics, the Black Lives Matter movement has been a terrible thing for the United States, not because of attention paid to police malfeasance and misconduct and brutality. All of that's fine. But because the broader Black Lives Matter agenda has very little to do with protecting black lives and a lot to do with the structures of the United States and the structures of the West and tearing those down. And the practical ramifications of tearing down the structures means more dead black people. That is just the way that reality works, unfortunately, in the real world. Okay, so the New York Times commemorates the one-year anniversary of, of George Floyd's death with an article titled, On the Ashes of Tragedy, Mixed Emotions on Anniversary of George Floyd's Death. The crowds that gathered in Minneapolis and elsewhere reflected on what has changed and what has not in America since Mr. Floyd was murdered by a police officer. It was a day of reflection, of remembrance, a time to lay flowers and say prayers, to celebrate black culture with art and music and food, and to recall the life of a man whose death one year ago shook the country and forced it to confront its painful legacy of racism and police brutality. Now, what's amazing about that, of course, is that there was not a single iota of evidence that was ever brought to show that Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd based on racial resentment. 
not an iota. It was never even claimed in court. And yet it became the cause of this broader re-examination of just how terrible and racist America is. And when the New York Times says that they examined the life of George Floyd, well, they really didn't because if you examine the life of George Floyd, it might lead you to some opposite conclusions about the value of policing. After all, George Floyd, before his tragic and untimely death, had committed a bevy of crimes for which he was correctly arrested. In Minneapolis on Tuesday, as people gathered to mark the anniversary of the police killing of George Floyd, there was space for it all. The trauma and the grief, says the New York Times, some celebration over a murder conviction of a police officer and a measure of hope, too, that in death, Mr. Floyd, a black man, had nudged America toward more racial equality. Now, here's the thing. Nope. The reality is that more black people died this year as a result of the Black Lives Matter movement completely cudgeling the police into not doing their jobs. The Black Lives Matter movement, which has fought very hard against the systematic institutions of the United States, declaring them all racist at root, has made racial polarization in the country significantly worse. New poll out today from The Economist shows that only 11% of Americans believe that relations between minorities and police since George Floyd's death are better. One in 10. Fully 38% of Americans believe that relations between minorities and the police since Floyd's death are worse. Okay, so four times as many Americans believe that things got worse than got better with regard to relations between the cops and the black community in the United States. But the the media are going to continue to celebrate this stuff, even though the ramifications of what Black Lives Matter did, I know we're supposed to just ignore the $2 billion in property damage and the skyrocketing murder rate in all of America's major cities. I know we're supposed to ignore all of that because we're supposed to pretend that if you yell at the cops enough, then magically all inequality is erased. But that is not the way things work. In fact, you have exacerbated many of the underlying conditions that lead to less investment in high crime areas, in low income areas, You have exacerbated many of the conditions that lead to bad relationships between the police and local populations. Nonetheless, the media are just, they're they're cheering themselves because they spent the last year investing in the narrative that George Floyd's death was a referendum on what the United States means more broadly and that George Floyd's death, because it was racist without actually being racist, that is America as a whole. Even as all eyes were on Minneapolis, says the New York Times, where the governor issued a proclamation for a moment of silence lasting nine minutes and 29 seconds, the amount of time a white officer's knee remained on Mr. Floyd's neck, people gathered in remembrance all across the country to honor not just the life of Mr. Floyd, but to reflect on what has changed and what has not in America. Again, this was not honoring the life of Floyd. I mean, it was was really honoring the death of Floyd, to be fair, in his commemoration of his death, not anything that he did during his life. And that is an important distinction, because if you believe that Floyd's death was a transformative moment, that's because you believe that the real problem in America is the cops writ broadly. Again, not a shred of evidence was provided for the the idea that Derek Chauvin, the cop in the George Floyd murder, was actually a racist or did this out of racial animus. Nonetheless, the New York Times says demonstrators marched in downtown Los Angeles. Philadelphia officials planned a citywide prayer vigil. Protesters in Chicago gathered to call for police reform. And Mr. Floyd's daughter, Gianna, was invited to appear at an Atlanta rally titled My Daddy Changed the World. All this was happening as members of the Floyd family met privately with President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris at the White House. Afterward, the White House issued a statement in which Biden said that while it has been a year since Mr. Floyd's death, the first year can still feel like they got the news a few seconds ago. Okay, so number one, important to note that when the governor of Minneapolis or Minnesota rather is calling for a moment of silence lasting for nine minutes and 29 seconds, I've noticed zero moments of silence for the vast bevy of black people who have been murdered over the last year not by cops. I've noticed that. And that, by the way, is statistically significantly more indicative of how many black people are being murdered in the United States than the Derek Chauvin case, which is a statistical anomaly. It is an act of brutality and also a statistical anomaly. Okay, but 
the media, again, they have to push forward this myth that the Black Lives Matter movement has been good for America, that there's been this quote unquote racial reckoning. And you see that word everywhere, a reckoning. Reckoning for whom? For whom? Like, what is the reckoning designed to do? BLM knows what it's designed to do, tear down the institutions. But the media just keeps saying racial reckoning. And what they mean by this is the entire left-wing agenda must be adopted wholesale because we have used George Floyd's death as a lever to pry open all of those institutions and then gut them. The word reckoning suggests that somebody has to be reckoned with. What has to be reckoned with? If we're saying that American history has to be looked at and that we have to see the impact of American history on the present, I agree, we should always do that. But then you have to look at inequality today. How much of that is caused by history and how much of that is caused by personal decision-making? If you're really going to fix people's problems, you can talk about history as much as you want. But if you're talking about problems like the crime rate in black communities or the murder rate in black communities, and you say, well, that's the legacy of slavery or Jim Crow, even if you grant that premise, which is dubious, even if you grant that premise, you'd have to say the only way to stop that is for people to stop killing people. Talking about slavery and Jim Crow doesn't stop people from killing each other. The same thing is true of the single motherhood rate in the black community. If you actually want to solve the problem and create greater equality of outcome, you need people to take different actions. Talking about the racist history of the United States doesn't cause a man to now stick around after knocking up a woman. Personal decision-making has to change if you actually wish to effectuate different outcomes. But BLM is not interested in individual actions. They explicitly say this. The entire BLM movement is predicated on the idea that you don't have individual agency, that you can't make your life better, that black Americans aren't capable of making their lives better. Strangely, there's a, a pretty hardcore bigotry of low expectations here, or bigotry of no expectations here with regard to the left. That you can't expect black Americans to act individually in, in good citizen fashion because of the legacy of racism. But we here, we white liberals, we can correct all of the ills of American society because we are responsible and we do have unbelievable levels of agency is the arrogance of the sort of Robin D'Angelo white fragility model in which white liberals are responsible for a utopian fixing of the United States. And black Americans have no responsibility whatsoever in their individual lives to take actions that better their lives because to even imply that would suggest that the systems in which we live ought to stand. And we'll get to what the actual impact of all this has been in the United States. And the answer is nothing good for black Americans. Again, where's the positive outcome? I'm waiting for it. I haven't seen any of it. Really, for, for black Americans, what is better now, today, than it was one year ago? Is there anything? We'll get to that in one second. First, let's talk about the fact that it's hard to keep an eye on your house all day, especially if you're not home all day. But I often want to check in on my house, make sure that my baby is doing well, make sure that I know who is stopping by the front door and dropping off packages. This is why I rely on Ring. If somebody stops by or something is going on outdoors around my home, Ring lets me know. It's peace of mind anytime knowing that our home is protected. At my house, I can keep an eye on every corner of our house with Ring's easy-to-install indoor and outdoor cams. To get Ring Alarm for yourself, go to ring.com slash Ben. It's the perfect way to start your Ring experience. The best thing I enjoy, besides Ring being a powerful asset for my home, Ring is also super affordable. It's a whole home security system you can easily install yourself. It's never been more important to see what's going on at your house. Now is a great time to make Ring happen. When we moved cross-country, my wife said, get the Ring devices on the house. We did it, like within the very first week of moving. It's great to know you're not going to miss a visitor with Ring's hassle-free, easy-to-install indoor and outdoor cams, knowing the packages are delivered, and also allows me to keep an eye on my wild children. Start protecting your home today with Ring Alarm. Go to ring.com slash Ben. Get your Ring Alarm security kit today. You can build the system that's right for your home. Have it up and running in minutes. That's ring.com slash Ben. Once more, ring.com slash Ben. Okay, so the propaganda efforts that are put out by the media here, that all of America's institutions need to be completely overthrown, just in line with what Democrats have always wanted to do, apparently. This propaganda effort is being put forward with, with a special sort of fervor this week. So Al Sharpton 
and Bill de Blasio knelt for George Floyd yesterday. Al Sharpton, the idea that you're going to make race relations in America better by going to Al Sharpton, one of the great racial conflagrationists of the last half century, is utterly insane. It's, it's bizarre. This is a guy who was involved in the incitement of, of at least two racial riots and a liar on a wide variety of other issues, including the Tawana Brawley case. And yet there he is with the mayor of New York kneeling for George Floyd, presumably to, to make race relations better in some way. This from the same mayor who hamstrung the police while people ran around Manhattan breaking into stores last summer. George Floyd's murder energized and ignited a movement all over the globe. We want to see the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act passed by the Congress. When we saw a movement like this in the 60s, it led to the Civil Rights Act of 64. Okay, um, so this is what they're looking for. What they're looking for is a complete overthrow of certain legislative areas of American life. So important to note that the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which did a lot of very good things, also completely shifted the relationship within, between the government and the individual. For example, it completely did away with freedom of association. And it actually extended into the private sphere in some pretty negative ways with, with long-term externalities. Christopher Caldwell discusses this in his book, The Age of Entitlement. It's the, it's, it was really a, um, a ground shift in how America saw the role of government. Well, this is what Democrats are seeking now is another ground shift in the role of government. So the Floyd family met with the, the Biden team at the White House yesterday and then emerged to say that we need more laws protecting black Americans, which is weird because we do have laws protecting black Americans. They're called the laws. We're just thankful for what's going on, and we just want this charge for our policing act to be passed in the future. Is there any message? Could I ask you real quick? No. Is there a message you want the American no. people to No, because this, this is the thing. If you can make federal laws to protect the bird, which is the bald eagle, you can make federal laws to protect people of color. Okay, there are federal laws protecting people of color. It's called the 1964 Civil Rights Act. It's also a bevy of other pieces of legislation that protect black people in the United States which is why the number of black people who are killed unarmed by the cops every year is usually fewer than 20. Okay, N not only that, we've had ground shifts in the treatment of discrimination in American life, like on a private level. Discrimination against black people is considered the worst thing that you can do in America. And I think in many ways, properly so. Okay, there's broad agreement on this. And yet none of that apparently makes a difference. We are back in the 60s. It's the exact same thing as it was in 1960 when we were emerging from actual legal, legally mandated discrimination in the South. Meanwhile, Joe Biden was being all weird. So he met with George Floyd's daughter and uh, he, he got strange because this is what our, our daughtered president does. What, a, what, what is he even rambling about? He's rambling about how George Floyd's daughter wanted snacks or something. Okay, so what is the Biden administration doing? Well, according to foxnews.com, the Department of State under President Biden issued guidance to all diplomatic and consular posts encouraging officials of support, official displays of support for Black Lives Matter on the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's murder on May 25th and beyond. According to a leaked memo from an anonymous State Department source, the department wrote that it, quote, supports the use of the term Black Lives Matter in messaging content, as well as in speeches and foreign diplomatic engagements on May 25th and beyond. The memo allows U.S. diplomats to fly the Black Lives Matter flag outside of embassies. Okay, so first of all, this crap has to stop. 
Okay, the only flag that ought to be flying outside the American embassy is the American flag. Okay, that is the only flag that we all agree on in the United States. The Black Lives Matter flag, which is a very rich, it is a very polarizing flag, not because, again, black lives don't matter. The term Black Lives Matter is a semantically overloaded term, as I've explained many times before. Of course, Black Lives Matter on a pure level. Black Lives Matter, the same as every other life in the United States matter. It's black, white, or green. We all agree with that. But Black Lives Matter is semantically overloaded because, of course, what people really mean when they say Black Lives Matter is that black people are specifically targeted in the United States by the authorities. That is not true. And then there is the argument that all inequality is the result of discrimination, which is similarly untrue. So when you fly the Black Lives Matter flag, what you're really doing is imbibing that message and then saying that that is the message of America, which, of course, it is not. In fact, it runs directly counter to the messages of the Constitution of the United States and the Declaration of Independence. We've seen the the use of, of flags that are not the American flag at embassies, and I object to all of them. We should not be flying gay pride flags or transgender pride flags or, or BLM flags or Christian flags outside the American embassy. We have a flag. It's called the American flag. That's the only one that should be flying outside of American embassies. In any case, the memo acts as an authorization for agency higher-ups to display the BLM flag on the external-facing flagpole to any chiefs of mission who determine such a display is appropriate in light of local conditions. Anthony Blinken has also previously authorized embassy to fly the LGBTQ pride flag from May 17th through the end of June in recognition of Pride Month celebrations. Again, the, the overt politicization of what should be apolitical things in American life, like the American flag, is pretty incredible. Okay, so what has been the actual impact of BLM? Has there been a grand impact to BLM? Has the racial reckoning been good for black Americans or all Americans? We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about a simple fact. Your sleep quality these days might be disturbed for a variety of reasons. My baby daughter has been getting me up at 5.30 in the morning. I'm very tired. But that means that when I lie down at night, put my head on that pillow, I need to be sleeping on a mattress that is super comfortable and made just for me. This is where Helix Sleep comes in. Helix Sleep has a quiz. It takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. Everybody's unique. Helix knows that. They have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattresses great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size folks. So, if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress you're matched to, the mattress comes right to your doorship for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. Helix is awesome, but you don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just head on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take that two-minute sleep quiz. You will get the best mattress of your life. Ten-year warranty. Try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll pick it up for you. If you don't love it, you got nothing to lose. Helix is offering up to 200 bucks off all mattress orders. Two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash Ben. That's a fantastic deal. Helixsleep.com slash Ben. Get up to 200 bucks off your mattress order and two free pillows for our listeners. Okay, so have things gotten better over the course of the last year? The answer, of course, is no, they've gotten significantly worse. At the end of 2020, Chicago police reported more than 750 murders, a jump of more than 50%. By mid-December, LA saw a 30% increase over the previous year with 322 homicides. There were 437 homicides in New York City by December 20th, nearly 40% more than the previous year. So yes, things are getting worse. They're getting significantly worse. I mean, just back in late March, the New York Times ran a piece. And Remember, today, the New York Times runs a piece about the, the wonderful events that are taking place all across America to commemorate the death of George Floyd and America's racial reckoning and all of this. Well, you know what's happening at George Floyd Square? People getting shot at George Floyd Square, like literally yesterday, literally yesterday. Okay, here is tape of an AP reporter reporting from outside the George Memorial at this square in Minneapolis where George Floyd died and gunfire breaks out yesterday. So how about that racial reckoning gang? Is, is this making lives better for anybody? Here we go. 
this bill of comprehensive police reform uh, to be... Uh, to just got to be careful here with some gunshots. Excuse us, excuse us. Oh, excuse us, sorry. So just some gunfire breaking out here at George Floyd Memorial and in the George Floyd Square. I mean, no biggie. And of course, the answer is it is no biggie because this happens like every weekend at the George Floyd Square. Okay, we're okay, we're okay. Hey, how many shots are being fired here? It's like a war zone over here. And where are the cops? The cops, of course, have been blocked off from this area is the answer. This place has become utterly lawless. According to NPR, at least one person was shot Tuesday near the Minneapolis intersection where George Floyd was murdered by police one year ago, an event that set off international protests over racial justice. Minneapolis police said they responded just after 10 a.m. to reports of shots fired near Elliott Avenue, which is part of an area known as George Floyd Square. A short time later, a person showed up at Abbott Northwestern Hospital suffering from a non-life-threatening gunshot wound, according to authorities. Like, And by the way, this is not uncommon. March 28th, New York Times, the sacred intersection, sacred, right? Sacred, it's now a holy site. It's a site of pilgrimage and ritual. Sacred intersection. I, the, the, the secular religion that is leftism requires martyrs and it requires acts of fealty and it requires acts of faith. And those acts of fealty and faith include the, the sainting of victims in American society and the blaming of the entire system at large. Sacra, I mean, you saw this with Nancy Pelosi literally thanking George Floyd for dying after the conviction of Derek Chauvin, which is an unbelievable thing. I mean, that, that, that I mean, equivalent to, to sort of the Christian thought that Jesus died for your sins, Nancy Pelosi suggested that George Floyd died for America's sins and then thanked him for his death. I mean, this sort of thinking is so perverse in the United States, it's, it's beyond reckoning. The New York Times says the sacred intersection where George Floyd died beneath the knee of a police officer has seen such an increase in violence that food delivery drivers are afraid to venture there. There have been gun battles with bloodied shooting victims dragged to ambulances because of barricades keeping the police and emergency vehicles away. Residents all over town still complain of officers using excessive force and officers accuse some community members of antagonizing them, like in a recent dispute over a homeless encampment that erupted into a melee with punches and pepper spray. Ten months ago, Minneapolis and the country seemed to coalesce around the belief that policing needed an overhaul. Now, with the murder trial of the officer who knelt on Floyd's neck scheduled to begin on Monday, remember this is written a couple of months ago, the struggle over what to overhaul has left Minneapolis at war with itself. The, the square itself has turned into a powder keg. According to the New York Times, hone in on the four neighborhoods surrounding the George Floyd Square. The story is bleak and deadly. In those areas, Powderhorn Park, Central, Bryant, and Bancroft, violent crime shot up by 66% last year, according to stats from the police department. This year, so far, little has changed. The area has become something of an autonomous zone with barriers and signs calling it the free state of George Floyd. Well, if this is the free state of George Floyd, it looks a lot more like a place for gang warfare. It looks like it looks like a hellscape if this is the free state of George Floyd. People are literally firing shots at George Floyd's memorial on the one year commemoration of his death. And this is the Black Lives Matter movement that was supposed to make America much, much better. Okay, again, show me the evidence that America has gotten better in some way over the course of the last year. And when you say awareness has been raised, Awareness of what exactly? Really, truly, what, awareness of what? That some police officers have committed acts of brutality? I think we all acknowledge this. What the media really want you to be aware of is a false story about what the United States is and what the United States should be. When they say that America has gotten better, they don't mean that conditions on the ground have gotten better for anybody. They don't care that conditions have gotten significantly worse for black Americans on the ground in America's major cities in the highest crime areas. They don't care about that. What they mean when they say that America has gotten better is they mean it is easier for them to foment an agenda that tears down America's institutions. They mean that they believe that they have made political headway in tearing away the systems of the United States and constitutional systems 
and baseline individual liberties, things like due process and equality of rights before law. When they say things have gotten better, what they mean is that they have been able to forward their agenda, not that things have actually gotten better for black Americans, because they pretty obviously and statistically have not. Okay, in just one second, we're going to get to exactly what I mean. And, and again, they're using this to, to foment exactly, right? It's George, it's the anniversary of George Floyd's death. And therefore, you can't do anything the left doesn't want you to do today, right? It's a magic day. Perfect example. Piece by Dana Milbank in the Washington Post. Republicans spent the anniversary of George Floyd's murder trying to vote down a black woman. Oh, what now? So the idea here is that because George Floyd was murdered by a police officer, we are not allowed to vote against any black person for a government office, no matter how ridiculously unqualified like Kristen Clark. I mean, this is insane. Here's Dana Milbank from the Washington Post. Republicans chose a special way of observing the anniversary of George Floyd's murder. They tried to vote down a highly qualified black woman who has been nominated to run the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division from I can't breathe to I won't confirm. So he is now equating the death of George Floyd to a government nominee by the Biden administration who not only is utterly unqualified, but is a garbage nominee being voted against by Republicans. These are the same thing. If you vote against a black person for a high position of power in the United States government because her qualifications are crap, then according to Dana Milbank, this is the equivalent of you kneeling on the neck of a black person until they die. According to the Washington Post, President Biden had set a deadline of Tuesday for Congress to enact legislation to counter police brutality. But while the House passed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act almost three months ago, Republican objections have bottled up negotiations in the Senate. Chuck, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's office said the timing of Tuesday's vote was a coincidence. Still, Democrats were happy to point out the convergence. It wasn't a coincidence, I'm sure. The Floyd murder by a Minneapolis police officer set off a fight for justice, Schumer said on the Senate floor. And here in the Senate, we will continue that fight when we vote to confirm the first black woman ever to lead the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division. Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois, Majority Whip, also cited the Floyd anniversary in urging his colleagues to consider the historic importance of this moment. Again, this is now a club. It's a political club. It's not about making life better for black people. It's a political club for Democrats, period. Which is why Democrats went so soft on the BLM rioters. Because these were just people, of course, who were overzealous and simply too committed and maybe a little too enraged. But they had the right idea. And that idea was to create running room for Democrats to push whatever agenda items they wish to pursue. But according to Dana Milbank, it's just racism. Republicans considered, and then all but one, Susan Collins of Maine, voted not even to allow Clark a confirmation vote. And when that failed, voted by an identical tally against confirming Clark. Not a single Republican spoke against Clark on the floor Tuesday, not even when Zerbin yielded them for a final sum uh, summation. Okay, so what exactly is the, um, what exactly are Kristen Clark's qualifications? David Harsanya has written about this repeatedly for National Review. Let me explain why Kristen Clark did not deserve a vote. This is David Harsanyi. Kristen Clark, Joe Biden's nominee for Assistant Attorney General of the United States, once promoted racist pseudoscientific quackery, arguing that the human brain was structured in a way that makes black people superior to white people and that human mental processes in the brain have chemicals that imbue one race with superior physical and mental abilities and spiritual abilities. Rather than owning up to a youthful relationship with radicalism, Clark, who made these comments in the Harvard Crimson as a 19-year-old, claims her racist diatribe was merely a parody, mocking the controversial book The Bell Curve. What I was seeking to do is hold up a mirror, she says. Purely by chance, Clark also happened to invite a Holocaust-denying fraud named Anthony Martin, then a professor at Wellesley College, whose primary assigned textbook was called The Secret Relationship Between Blacks and Jews, which blamed Jews for the slave trade, and who wrote The Jewish Onslaught, published by Louis Farrakhan. She invited that guy to speak at Harvard. At the same time, Clark was writing about black supremacy. She was calling Martin an intelligent, well-versed black intellectual who bases in his information on indisputable fact. 
Then last year, she wrote a piece for Newsweek titled, I prosecuted police killings, defund the police, but be strategic. Again, not only that, she suggested that Jussie Smollett, when, when the police asked for Jussie Smollett's phone and asked for evidence, that they were being racist. Okay, this person is not qualified to lead the, the civil rights division of the DOJ. But according to the media, remember, because of the racial reckoning, to vote against her would be an act of racism. And this is really why people on the left think that the world's gotten better over the course of the last year when by all available evidence for black Americans, it has not. The answer is because they think that the, the agenda that they are pushing is going to be fomented by the Black Lives Matter movement, even if it means that more black people are going to die in cities, and even if it means that education gets worse, and even if it means that racial polarization gets worse, none of that matters to them. It's all about the agenda, agenda, agenda. That's all that matters to them. Which is why they've been using this quote-unquote racial reckoning to push forward things like the 1619 Project. It's why they've been using this quote-unquote racial reckoning to push forward critical race theory in schools. And the media are fully invested in this. The reason the media are in full celebration mode one year after George Floyd's death when things have gotten markedly worse for black Americans living in high crime areas is because they believe that they have found the lever for change. So Politico, for example, I mean, listen to the way that the media skews stories. Politico has a report today about Oklahoma passing a bill that bans critical race theory teaching in schools. Okay, here's how they, here's how they headline this. Anti-racism teaching ban divides Oklahoma ahead of Tulsa massacre centennial. And so if you just read that headline, what you would assume is a bunch of racists in Oklahoma want to make sure that no one ever learns about racism in Oklahoma right about the same time as the 100-year anniversary of the Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre. Okay, that's not what's going on at all. Oklahoma just pushed forward a bill that said that you can't educate kids to feel, quote, discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress solely due to race or gender. That doesn't mean you can't teach American history. It means you're not allowed to say that kids are beneficiaries of white supremacy and therefore are, should, should feel guilty about their own race. Because that's what critical race theory effectively argues, is that all white people, no matter who you are, are beneficiaries of evil systems in the United States and therefore ought to feel guilty about their race. That is a main, it is a hallmark of critical race theory, which of course argues that racism is not abnormal. It's not an abnormality. It is natural. It is ingrained in white populations and that every white person is a secret, both psychological and material beneficiary of white privilege. But according to Politico, it's very bad to say this. Democratic State Senator Kevin Matthews said, quote, the biggest problem is we would pass legislation that says we wouldn't be able to teach diversity, equity, and inclusion in schools. It generally says something like that. No, that's not what it says. What it says is that you are not allowed to teach racial discrimination on the basis of race. As educators have sought to explore U.S. history with lessons increasingly informed by slavery, Dred Scott, and Jim Crow, particularly after George Floyd's killing by police last year, there is the, there's the obligatory political reference, conservatives have moved to block political interpretations of critical race theory from classrooms. Many Republicans across the country and in Washington have blasted it as racist, liberal indoctrination. Well, that's because that is what it is. And nonetheless, Politico says the reason they're doing this is because of the Tulsa race massacre. Of course, that's not true. It takes a long time for these legislative proposals to finally reach the light of day. But the goal here is that if you can link this to George Floyd, which everybody agrees is bad, then that means that you're racist to oppose what Democrats want to do. This is why you see ta Coates, for example, suggesting that it is racism. ta Coates is one of the great race grifters in American life. He is a, he's a purple writer who is extremely vague in his thinking which is why he can never peg down exactly what it is that he is saying and instead reverts to very, very evocative phraseology, right? Things like the, the impact on black bodies, which he uses, this phraseology he uses frequently, or when he talks about 
the systemic racism that has wrought its its legacy on black Americans. Ta-Nehisi Coates' favorite routine in his writing is that he takes a bad thing that happened in 1880 and then he fast forwards directly to 2021 and says that nothing has changed, which of course is a lie. In any case, here's Ta-Nehisi Coates defending critical race theory on the basis that somehow this is going to make the country a better place. No matter how discomforting an idea is, no matter how, uh, um, you know, an idea makes you feel or whatever, when you're, uh, when you see the state using policy to remove those notions from the public square, um, you, you, you've got a problem of a different order. Again, I just want to be really, really clear. You don't have to agree with Nicole. You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with, with, with anybody. But when you see the president of the United States directing an executive order uh, towards a journalistic project, you should be afraid. Okay, he, directing an executive order to a journalistic project? No, he put together an executive order, putting together what he called the 1776 Commission. He's talking about Trump there. The 1776 Commission thoroughly debunks the 1619 Project, which is garbage pseudo-history. The 1619 Project is filled with lies and prevarications, as everyone who has studied it knows. Anyone who has spent any amount of time knows that it is filled with conjecture and foolishness. And none of that is to deny the, to deny the evils of slavery or the impact that history has on the present. The 1619 Project, however, is rife with historical inaccuracy and full-scale lies about the founding of the United States and American ideals. But to oppose that apparently means that you are in league with George Floyd's murderers or something. That is why the left believes that things have gotten better over the past year when there is no evidence that things have gotten better over the past year. By the way, this is being crammed down on your kids. According to Daily Wire, an Oregon school board updated a policy to mandate that each classroom in the school district display a Black Lives Matter and progressive pride flag or poster. On May 6th, the Gresham Barlow School Board in Gresham, Oregon, updated the district's flag displays and salutes policy to reflect the progressive values of the board. The proposal would require the school board to provide an American flag Pride flag and BLM flag for each classroom, because if we are talking about messages that every American has to be forced to embrace, we are now talking about the radical LGBTQ plus agenda, the BLM agenda and the American flag are all interchangeable, according to the left, which is complete crap, considering that the documents of the Constitution of the United States and the Declaration of Independence are marked rebukes to many elements of that agenda. According to the policy, the district shall obtain and display a U.S. flag, a progressive pride flag or poster, and a Black Lives Matter flag or poster of an appropriate size for each classroom. Okay, this is with taxpayer dollars. Nuts. Nuts. Apparently, other members of the school board suggested that students recite land acknowledgement once a week and recite the Black National Anthem as well. All of this is divisive and makes the country worse, but of course the goal is to divide the country further so that you can then cram down a policy from above, a policy that rectifies all racial imbalances. It's just nasty, nasty stuff here from the, from the radical left. Again, using George, death's, George Floyd's death as an opportunity not to make life better for Americans, but to tear down institutions that, by the way, have made black Americans the richest black people on the face of the earth. I mean, in economic terms. There is no country in which black Americans are freer and there is no country in which black Americans are richer. That does not deny the evil history of the United States with regard to slavery or Jim Crow. That is a recognition of facts on the ground today. There is, in fact, a giant and thriving black middle class in the country. I know the media want you to believe that the only black people in America are people who are either extremely wealthy or extremely poor, but that is not true in the slightest. And it's a slander on the very many black Americans who have made tremendous economic progress in the United States. It's also slander on the system, which allows people to make economic progress regardless of race. In fact, if race were the great indicator here, then there would be no reason why Nigerian Americans, for example, are better educated than the general population to have a higher household income. Okay, in any case, 
the, the media continue to push the idea that things have gotten better over the past year because, again, it's not about whether things got better. It's about whether they can push forward the agenda they want to push forward. All righty, in just a second, we'll get to more insane media malfeasance because there's a headline from the New York Times that is just beyond. It's just beyond. We'll get to that in one second first. Let's talk about the fact that if you are using a free email service from a big tech email provider, it's really not super free because you're paying with your privacy. Since those companies have access to every email you send and receive, big tech can sell your data to the highest bidder. That's why I trust Startmail to secure my email. It makes me feel safe again. Startmail keeps my email private, which is super important to me. Every email is encrypted, even if the recipient doesn't use encryption. That means big tech cannot read, scan, analyze, or sell my personal information ever. Not even Big Brother can snoop around your email. Startmail also prevents government agencies from spying on you, like in giant dragnet operations. With Startmail, deleted means deleted. When you delete an email, it is gone forever. And Startmail uses their servers, not big tech servers, which means they cannot be put out of business. And they are backed by the most stringent privacy laws in the world. So, I mean, this is a great way of protecting your personal privacy. Again, a lot of people are using Gmail because it's free and because it's convenient. Yeah, but the reason it's free is because they are monetizing your data. And again, you don't want those people having your data. I mean, you're putting your most private stuff in your emails. I don't trust big tech. You shouldn't either. Start securing your email privacy with Startmail today. Sign up today. You'll get 50% off your first year. Go to startmail.com slash Ben. That's startmail with a T, S-T-A-R-T, mail.com slash Ben for 50% off your very first year. It is super easy to get started. The email works beautifully. Startmail.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Startmail.com slash Ben. All righty, we're gonna get to more in just one second. First, after a year of lockdown, Prices across the country are rising in tandem with leftist insanity. You're probably ready to hear some voices of reason make sense of it. So tonight, throw out that mask and join me, Jeremy Boring, Michael Moles, Matt Walsh, and Andrew Clavin for another Cigar and Sanity-packed episode of Backstage. It streams tonight at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central on DailyWire.com and on our YouTube channel, Daily Wire. Also, if you've ever imagined touring the Daily Wire headquarters, sitting front row at a live Candace show, hanging out with Candace Owens herself, today could be your lucky day. When you sign up as a Daily Wire member with code VIP, you'll get 20% off your new membership and you'll be automatically entered for a chance to win a trip to Daily Wire Studios to see Candace live. I get this question all the time. People are emailing me, how do I go see Candace live? Here's how. Not only will you be meeting Candace, you'll get an inside look at her studio, our office, front row seats to watch her take down leftist live and in action on her talk show, Candace. So this is really happening. Don't sleep on it. Go enter to win a Candace, a VIP pass right now at dailywire.com slash subscribe using code VIP for 20% off. Again, that is dailywire.com slash subscribe using code VIP for 20% off. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Alrighty, so the media, as always, they have one agenda and that is to push whatever the Democratic Party wants. This headline from the New York Times is just, this is a stellar headline from the New York Times, really full credit to the New York Times, full points. Here's the headline. Democrats, once outraged, take a quieter approach to migrant children. Yeah, that's a real headline from the New York Times. So you may have been wondering, you, American citizen, why it was that AOC was going down to the border and putting on a spontaneous white outfit and standing spontaneously in front of a chain link fence, spontaneously in front of a giant empty plaza, spontaneously in front of a child holding facility. And why a photographer was spontaneously there taking spontaneous pictures of, of AOC spontaneously crying spontaneously while looking spontaneously into camera. You may have been wondering why she was doing that, but she's got nothing to say. Like, she's not down at the border right now. And there's a multiple of the number of children being held in detention facilities by the Biden administration amidst a COVID pandemic that is still hitting all the people who are migrating over the border. 
You may have wondered, well, the New York Times has her answer. They're just taking a quieter approach, you see. They're still mad, you see, but, but they're quieter about it. They're just quieter. Now, why are they quieter? No, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Could be, maybe they, maybe they got laryngitis. You never know. Maybe it's just that their hands were paralyzed. They couldn't type or something, but you, you just don't know. But they're quieter. According to Eileen Sullivan at the New York Times, House Democrats who led an angry charge against the Trump administration's treatment of migrant children have taken a much quieter tack since concerns began emerging about conditions at some of the emergency shelters set up by the Biden administration to deal with minors at the southern border. Where once only Twitter assaults and dressings down at House hearings would suffice, Democratic lawmakers are voicing worries privately to administration officials and the small staff at DHHS, which oversees the care. If problems persist, the lawmakers say they call again. Democrats say the contrast is for good reason. Former President Donald J. Trump's immigration policies were deliberately cruel, devised as a deterrent to would-be migrants, while the Biden administration is trying hard to deal with a bad hand. Oh, is that why? Oh, it's because you like the people in the White House. I mean, we can boil that one down, right? That's what they mean. We like the people in the White House. Therefore, they're good people. We don't have to yell at them. We just address it. We do a little back massage and maybe we try and give Joe a can of Ensure and maybe he'll do what we want. By the way, number of migrant children has not decreased since Joe Biden took office. That was in January. It is now nearly the end of May. According to Joaquin Castro, Democrat of Texas, the difference is you have an administration who wants to solve a lot of these challenges and their heart is in a much better, oh, their heart, it's in a better place. It's like in a jar on the shelf. Their heart, it's in a better place. Representative Veronica Escobar, Democrat of Texas, said she has so far been impressed with the administration officials working on the issue. They have a solid vision and a heart of gold. They're whores with a heart of gold, and they seem to want to do the right thing, which is different from what I experienced during the Trump administration, said Escobar. During the Trump administration, it was all excuses or, sorry, this is the way it is. Oh, so, oh, I see. I see what's happening here. So now they just went quiet, but the good, you know what? They went quiet for a reason. It's because Democrats have a heart of gold. By the way, what is the Biden administration actually doing? They're incentivizing massive illegal immigration across the border. Today, Washington Post, at the detention centers and county jails that the Trump administration once filled with immigrants facing deportations, thousands of beds are now empty. The immigration and customs enforcement officers that President Donald Trump lavished with praise have far less to do on the streets of the U.S. these days. Under the new Biden administration rules curtailing immigration enforcement, ICE carried out fewer than 3,000 deportations last month, the lowest levels on record. The agency's 6,000 officers currently average one arrest every two months. ICE, under President Biden, is an agency on probation. The new administration has rejected calls from some Democrats to eliminate the agency, but Biden has placed ICE deportation officers on a leash so tight, some say their work is being functionally abolished. Immigration advocacy groups and lawyers who wield significant influence in the Biden White House are pushing to eliminate more detention facilities and reduce deportations even further, despite a 20-year high in legal border crossings. So you know why Democrats aren't worried about all these children being held in migrant facilities? Because they're very much in favor of the open border policy being pursued by the Biden administration. Once the Biden administration says to ICE, you cannot deport people who are crossing the border illegally, they're de facto issuing a come on in announcement, free cupcakes, cross the border. And then we're all supposed to be surprised when children swamp the border. Why should we be surprised about that? You have fully incentivized this. Just like defund the police causes crime, we will not deport anyone causes illegal immigration. Democrats know this and they don't care. They're happy about it. That's why they're quote unquote quieter because they like the broader agenda. They don't care that kids are being held in inhumane conditions on the border because the broader agenda, which is to get more illegal immigrants into the country, is something that Democrats support. As always, real time suffering means nothing to Democrats. It's the long term utopian vision that means everything to Democrats. The Biden administration is preparing to release its first Department of Homeland Security budget request this week. Immigrant advocates want deep cuts to ICE. 
Deep cuts to ICE in the middle of a vast upswell in illegal immigration cut the agency responsible for deportations. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas announced plans last week to shutter two ICE detention centers. But he says he wants to reorient ICE, not shrink it. He said, I really am focused on it becoming a premier national security and law enforcement agency. I really want to elevate all of the other work ICE does and also ensure that its civil immigration work is well-focused in the service of the national security and public safety mission. So what exactly does that mean? Under Biden's new rules, deportation officers must seek written authorization from senior level supervisors to arrest anyone who is not a recent border crosser, a national security threat, or an aggravated felon. Okay, so if you've committed a misdemeanor, you're fine. If you commit a felony, but you're not considered an aggravated felon, you're still fine. So long as you came here a little while ago. Before placing a detainer on an immigrant in a jail or a prison. So these are people who have already been arrested. Essentially asking another law enforcement agency to hold that person until ICE can assume custody. Officers must also seek approval from one of the agency's most senior regional directors. So it used to be that automatically, if somebody was arrested and they were an illegal immigrant, ICE would put an automatic detainer request in with local law enforcement to say we can deport these people as opposed to keeping them in American jails. Now, Biden wants you to have to go to your supervisor to allow this, which effectively means a lot of people who are felons, people who have committed crimes in the United States, will not be deported. ICE officials frustrated with the changes describe a workplace environment where officers spend time doing paperwork, idling or working out, more fearful of facing reprimand for making an arrest than not making one. So basically, they're doing to ICE what they have done to the cops, and the predictable result is more crime. This is not a shock in any way, shape, or form. But don't worry, things are getting better, guys. According to the New York Times, Democrats are quiet because everybody in the administration has a heart of gold. So much golden-heartedness going on. By the way, a little bit of disparate treatment of crime. You notice there's a big story out right now about how a grand jury has convened in New York with regard to President Trump and how Letitia James, the attorney general of the state of New York, came into office pledging to go after Trump. She didn't say what crime he'd committed, but she was pledged to go after him, acknowledge, basically admitting there was a political prosecution from the very beginning. The media are over the moon about law enforcement with regard to Trump when we don't even know what crimes he supposedly has committed here. But when it comes to actual people committing actual crimes, the answer is defund the police. Make sure that Kristen Clark, who's a radical with regards to the cops, is in charge of investigating the police and ensuring civil rights at the DOJ and defund ICE. Remember that time when this is supposed to be a moderate administration? Yeah, I don't either. Because it was never going to be a moderate administration. That was always a lie that people were just telling you. End of story. It was all about that. And the media are playing the game, man. Whatever they can do to distract from the failures of this administration, from the multiple, there are multiple crises. They are administration created. There is a crime crisis. It is created by this administration and by the Democrats and by the media. There is a racial polarization crisis in the country fomented by the media. There's an illegal immigration crisis fomented by the media, fomented by this administration. But, you know, it is the one-year anniversary of George Floyd, so I guess we're not supposed to talk about any of that. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that when people say free, they should mean, you know, actually free. When you switch to Pure Talk today, you will get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. No four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last, rugged screen, quick-charging battery, top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family will save almost $1,000 a year. So 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Switch to my cell phone company. I've been using Pure Talk for years at this point. I can tell you that coverage is excellent. I trust them. You can too. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and switch to my cell phone company today. puretalk.com slash Shapiro. All right, meanwhile, when we speak of media misdirection, got to talk a little bit about Marjorie Taylor Greene. So Marjorie Taylor Greene made a couple of statements over the past 48 hours. So one of them was a statement on Twitter, and the other one of them was a statement that she made on David Brody's show on Real America's Voice. I commented yesterday on the radio show about the Real America's Voice statement. Her tweet on Twitter was basically just doubling down on those particular comments. Okay, so here was Marjorie Taylor Greene on David Brody's show yesterday, making a Holocaust comparison and reference with regard to masking that makes no sense and is kind of insane. This woman is mentally ill. You know, we can look back in a time in history where people were told to wear a gold star and they were definitely treated like second class citizens, so much so that they were put in trains and taken to gas chambers in Nazi Germany. And this is exactly the type of abuse that Nancy Pelosi is talking about. Okay, uh, no, that's not precisely the kind of stuff that Nancy Pelosi is talking about, as I noted yesterday. And then, of course, she doubled down on this on Twitter because everybody doubles down on everything on Twitter. This is the new strategy on Twitter, right? She suggested on Twitter that basically the, the same thing, that the that that vaccine passports are equivalent to the, the gold star, it's, it's a yellow star, the, the, but she called it the gold star, and that this is like what Nazis did, right? And so I talked about this on Twitter. I said, this is a bad idea, right? That this is, that this is crazy, well, what she's saying right here. And naturally, the Republican Party came out and they said, this is crazy talk, right? I mean, comparing mask mandates to the Holocaust or suggesting that, that Nancy Pelosi's house policy on masking on the floor is equivalent to sending Jews on trains to gas chambers or it's leading to sending Jews on trains to gas chambers, in any way, that, that's, it's, it's wild stuff. And, and Marjorie Taylor Greene says wild stuff, right? I've said before, when she deserves praise, she deserves praise. There have been times where I've praised her on this show. She's a broken clock who's right twice a day. And when she's right, she's right. When she's wrong, she's wrong. This is one where she's wrong. Mitch McConnell kind of slapped her on it yesterday. Here was the Senate minority leader saying that this sort of language was inappropriate. And then I'll talk about the ramifications for broader American politics, because this is where things get kind of interesting. Well, she doesn't serve in the Senate, but um, this is one of a frequent outbursts that are absolutely outrageous and reprehensible. But any punishment, I assume, would have to be administered by the House. Okay, so first of all, the voters can administer whatever punishment to Marjorie Taylor Greene they wish to do. She's an elected official. They can do that if they want. Second of all, if we're talking about Holocaust comparisons that are bad, these, of course, are not restricted to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Democrats called Trump Hitler for four years. The number of Holocaust references being put forward by Democrats in the last four years, there's a plethora of them. I've condemned a lot of them. I've talked about a lot of them. Okay, and then beyond that, put aside the Holocaust references, Democrats, including the president of the United States, suggested, for example, that Georgia voting law was Jim Crow, which is, again, an overt historical lie that demeans Jim Crow and, and presents Jim Crow as, as something that apparently is not that serious. If it's just like the Georgia voting law, it's ridiculous, right? It downplays Jim Crow. So these sorts of bad historical comparisons happen all the time for members of Congress, and they suck. They're bad. But let's be real about this. The reason that the media are paying outsized attention to Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments is because they don't want to talk about the overt anti-Semitism of the Democratic Party at this point. That is why they are doing this. 
Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments on masking and the Holocaust are going to get precisely zero Jews beaten in the streets of New York. Ilhan Omar's comments and AOC's comments and Ayanna Presley's comments and the comments of members of the media who are overtly pushing pro-Hamas talking points, that does get Jews beaten in the streets of New York. It does get Jews threatened on the streets of Miami. It does get a rabbi in my community threatened by a guy wearing a Hamas headband. Okay, so, but, but the media are, are, it's amazing to watch the media jump on the Marjorie Taylor Greene thing because she provided them the opening, right? She said this, and so they're like, ah, we can condemn anti-Semitism. First of all, I'm not sure that her comment, this one, right? The Jew laser thing is, is, anti-Semitic, is anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. Bad Holocaust comparisons are absurd and deranged, but they are not de facto anti-Semitic, right? People make bad historical comparisons all the time. It happens routinely. But the reason the media are focusing on this is that they can say that they don't like anti-Semitism while completely letting the squad off scot-free. The squad has participated in blood libels here. They've suggested that Israel is targeting Palestinian children. That is a lie. It is an overt, disgusting lie. It is a blood libel against the Jewish state. They've suggested that because Israel has an imbalance in military power, Israel's citizens should be living under the threat of random rocket fire. They've suggested sympathy for a Hamas terror group that explicitly calls for the abolition of the state of Israel and running the Jews into the sea. This is what the Democrats have done. And the Democrats will not condemn the other Democrats for doing this. They'll they'll condemn anti-Semitism more broadly, maybe. Many Democrats were like, well, we condemn anti-Semitism and also Islamophobia. Also, there's no uptick in Islamophobic attacks in the United States. None. There's no data to suggest that. But the reason that the Democrats keep pairing anti-Semitism with Islamophobia is to justify the anti-Semitism. Right? Their claim is that if you are pro-Israel, this means that you are by nature Islamophobic. And therefore, if you're Islamophobic, an attack on you is really not anti-Semitism. It's really just a form of defending Muslims. And that is the perverse logic that is being put forward by Democrats on the radical left today. The media refuse to pay attention to this. The New York Times, as far as I'm aware, has run precisely zero stories on the radical uptick in anti-Semitism in their news section in the United States. Instead, they printed literally today, the New York Times, a map of Israel that is so factually incorrect that when MSNBC put it out there in 2015, the same map, they had to apologize for saying it was factually incorrect. That was a map that showed all of Israel as Palestine and then it's shrinking down Palestine into these little dots. It's just a, it's a lie. It's not true. The New York Times pressed it forward anyway. They, they're, they're printing pieces by actual spokespeople for terrorist organizations like the Palestine Liberation Organization. The media have nothing to say about this because the media are in favor of it. Okay, so let me give you an example. Last night, Dana Bash and Wolf Blitzer did a full segment on Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments, which are condemned, by the way, by Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader, and by the Senate Minority Leader. I've yet to see a single Democrat come out and actually condemn by name Ilhan Omar and her radically anti-Semitic comments, or Rashida Tlaib and her radically anti-Semitic comments, or the apartheid state nonsense of Ayanna Presley. Not a single Democrat, not a single major Democrat, but here Dana Bash and Wolf Blitzer getting very teary-eyed and emotional over Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments. Meanwhile, it's honest to God, it's absurd. It's, it's ridiculous on the highest level. Okay, I also don't think that Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments are good. I also don't like those comments. I think that they are ill-advised. I think that they are bizarre. I think they're crazy. I don't think that they are fomenting anti-Semitism in the United States that results in Jews being beaten on the streets of New York. I know Jews who are being beaten on the streets of New York today. They are being beaten by pro-Palestinian activists who believe the same things that the editorial board of the New York Times believes, apparently. But CNN, they're very upset about what they perceive to be light treatment of anti-Semitism when it's Marjorie Taylor Greene. Again, it ain't masking advocate, anti-masking advocates who are beating Jews today. But here's Wolf Blitzer getting very teary-eyed while simultaneously providing coverage for a network that does cover for Hamas all the damn time. After the third 
time she was given a chance to either recant or retract or clarify, she tripled down on these repulsive comments, Wolf. Yeah, I mean, it's really sick when you think about it. For you and me, it's not just political. It's not just the story we're covering. This is a very personal issue, given the fact that both of us, we lost family during the Holocaust. Being uh, gassed, which is what my great-grandparents were, is a whole different thing. And to compare that to the notion of public health uh, and wearing a mask is just beyond the pale. Okay, so that they're very, very upset about what Marjorie Taylor Greene has. How about, how about what Hamas does? Hey, seriously, Wolf Blitzer covers this conflict regularly on his program. Does he ever talk about how upset he is that he had you know relatives who died in the Holocaust and that his parents were Holocaust survivors? And d- does he talk about the fact that Hamas explicitly calls for genocide against Jews? Like, does he does he talk about that and how upsetting that must be as the child of Holocaust? Does he ever talk about Democratic Party members providing de facto support for Hamas, literally trying to cut off funding for Iron Dome in the middle of the war? Does he talk about people in the Democratic Party overtly lying about what the Jews are doing in Israel? About how the Jews are, are participating in an apartheid state and attempting to target Palestinian children? No, of course not. He has nothing to say about that. Because the routine is this. When it comes to the media, first priority, protect the Democratic Party. So anti-Semitism is only worth noting, even if it isn't, even if it's just crazy and not anti-Semitic. The, taking the Holocaust lightly is worthy of note when it is Marjorie Taylor Greene. But when it is entire marches taking place in the streets across the world in which Israel is being compared to Hitler, nothing, nada, then the media are completely silent. So are they really concerned about anti-Semitism? Not in the slightest. They are only concerned about misdirecting away from the people they want to protect, namely anti-Semites in the Democratic Party who are perfectly fine with watching the state of Israel be wiped off the map. I mean, there are members of Congress right now in the Democratic Party who call the establishment of the state of Israel a Nakba, right? A disaster. That's about the establishment of the state of Israel. It's, it's truly an amazing, amazing sight. And so uh, they have no credibility to speak on these issues whatsoever. None. Their agenda is perfectly clear all the way through. Two things, as always, can be true at once. I can say that I don't like Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments. I can say that I think that they are demented crazy. And I can also say that the true threat to America's Jews is not coming from Marjorie Taylor Greene. The true threat to America's Jews, based on stats, based on evidence, based on what's going on today, are anti-Semites who agree with the Democratic Party's radical left position on Israel being fomented by members of the media who overtly push propaganda on behalf of genocidal anti-Jewish terrorists. All righty. Well, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. In the meantime, go check out the Michael Moles show where he discusses George Will's kind of crazy comments from the other day comparing 1-6 to 9-11. He says we should remember January 6th like 9-11, which is nuts. You can hear more details about this story over on Michael's show. That is available right now. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our assistant director is Pavel Wydowski. Editing is by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant is Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Democrats take a break from calling us Nazis to complain that a Republican called them Nazis. 
conservatives try to win back the country one school board at a time. And John Cena grovels to the Chai Coms. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM.